Gen X Playback, episode number 20. No, we're not a couple of gigolos. We are the Brothers High, and welcome to the Gen X Playback Show, the largest podcast in Nesville, Pennsylvania. We are the Brothers High. I am Scott. And I'm Sean. And you are hearing Diamond David Lee Roth, most famously of Van Halen. So we're going to honor David Lee Roth's birthplace, where he was born and wasn't raised there. He was raised in California, but he was born in, Sean, take a guess. Uh, Bloomington, Indiana. That is correct. So I, I know my Van Halen trivia. We want to welcome uh, and thank Bloomington, Indiana, for listening to our podcast. And they've been they've been one of the uh, beginners. They were one of the, starting from the, with us from the beginning. And as we now are coming up close to our one thousand show, uh, one thousand hit anniversary. Hopefully, we'll pass that by the end of this week. We want to say a special thanks to our listeners and hope you're enjoying things so far. Yeah, much appreciated. You know, they, we have some longtime loyal listeners who've been with us from day one, and uh, it, it is super appreciated. Thank you all for every one of you who has, who is you know, stayed with us, spread the word. Uh, you know, if you've told your friends, we appreciate it. Yeah, so we, um, you know, we try to cover different types of topics. We've covered actors, we've covered entertainers, music. We did sports in uh, last last episode number nineteen. And so we want, wanted to get back into movies. We hadn't done movies in a while, Sean. Uh, you know, the very first one that we picked was 16 Candles, which I thought was a great start to our movie section for the Gen X Playback show. And the next one is probably even more significant than that. And you wanted to cover, uh, you know, the movie that we're going to talk about tonight. Sure. We're going to talk about Top Gun tonight and, you know, give you a little bit of background as to why I wanted to discuss this movie. It is, for anyone that grew up in the Gen X era, you know, we loved Top Gun. I mean, Top Gun was a very important movie to Gen Xers. And I think I want to get into that a little bit, why that may have been. But I was, uh, I believe it or not, I had not seen Top Gun Maverick up until a week ago. Okay. And I, I was, you know, telling someone, hey, you know, I on my streaming service, it just popped up. I think I'm going to watch it. And it was recommended to me. Whatever you do, make sure you see the original Top Gun because there's a lot of references. And yes, you can enjoy the movie without without doing that, but you'll get it enjoy it a lot more if you go and do that. So, as I you know, I thought about yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and do that. And I thought you know, well, if I'm going to invest the time to go back and watch that, and you know, it's that would be a great kind of a lead into what we're going to talk about. And I, by the way, for those of you who have not seen Top Gun Maverick, it's awesome. Yeah, and it really does put everything. It continues the story and doesn't doesn't cheapen the original movie or make you come back just because there are some familiar faces in a sequel. That's it's well written, right? It's well acted. Yeah, you know, they bring in new characters to they introduce some some new pilots in into this whole storyline, but it's a continuation that makes sense. It does. It it literally 
is what would have happened when Top Gun, the movie that we're going to talk about in this episode, when it ends, and next thing you know, fast forward 30 years, what's going on with Pete Mitchell, Pete Maverick Mitchell, and I think they did a great job picking it up with, realistically, what would his life have been like 30 years in the future. And, you know, as you said, we're going to focus on the first movie um, in this episode, but like you did when Amy and I went and saw Maverick in the movie theater, we did watch the original version, you know, the the one that were uh, the 86 Top Gun. We saw that the night we watched it at home the night before and then went and saw it in the movie theater the next the next night. And I'm glad we did because it brought the the second movie Maverick there's some very subtle things that were put in and there's a lot coming at you that are if you if you pay attention to when um, Goose and Maverick are getting chewed out on the ship in mm-hmm. the very beginning, and they the admiral refers to a liaison that that Pete has with an admiral's daughter. Well, it just so happens that it's the same name of the woman that is in the second movie, right? And so there's just a lot of little things like that that I thought were were, were pretty clever. So that being said, it, it's interesting. And, and I, we're not gonna we're not gonna give away what happens in Maverick, you know. So if you haven't seen it yet, you know, we, we everything we're gonna talk about is from the first movie. So, but what's it's fair game if it's mentioned in the first movie. So what what you know, there there is the 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 character uh, you know mentioned twice actually in Top Gun, Penny Benjamin. Penny Benjamin is as as you know. You know, we'll, we'll get into it where Maverick and Goose, as Scott said, we're getting chewed out, and it gets mentioned about that. And then later on, um, Goose's wife brings it up. Carol mm-hmm. brings it up about Penny Benjamin. So it's just, just kind of to tie up a little bit with Maverick, I like the fact that it's this wasn't a character out of left field mm-hmm. who they're bringing in. It's just another person that's mentioned in the first story that is, you know, they're, they're picking up on it. Kind of similar to what the uh, the creators of Breaking Bad did when they came out with Better Call Saul, and they really tied characters and names together. Yeah, so we highly recommend, if you haven't seen Top Gun Maverick yet, uh, please do so. And if if you are a fan of the first movie, you will like the second one as much, if not more. It's a, Like I said, it's a great continuation. You're not going to be disappointed. Right. You know, Sean and I are, especially when sequels are brought out, we can be pretty cynical, skeptical whenever, uh, you know, second movies come out, because a lot of times... The movie studio is just trying to capitalize on the, you know, just the first movie and the, the success of it. And this, you could tell that the the writing involved in the story was they were pretty painstaking about how they captured the detail and that it was, uh, you know, a good transition from one one movie to the next. Well, the, and you know that, that that'll lead into to this discussion and what. Uh, and the connection that I want to make to that is the fact that this is an important movie, as I as I mentioned earlier, to Gen Xers. This is something that I've never heard a Gen Xer that doesn't speak fondly and have good memories of this movie. And they treat it with a lot of respect. So it, they don't insult us by, by moving forward where it's not believable. And you're kind of upset with what they did to the characters that you loved. Mm-hmm. And so... With that, you know, kind of get into kind of the background of Top Gun. You know, even before it gets made, the you know the, the, there's some actors that that we're going to see in this. Tom Cruise obviously is the main actor. That it's really in a lot of ways his 
not not his breakthrough because he had a breakthrough with risky business mm-hmm. right back in 1983 1983 was a good year for tom cruise mm-hmm. so he, bre- he breaks on the scene in 81 he um he's in the movie like his briefly endless love i never saw that movie I never saw the whole movie either. I mean, it. it so I. I mean, I, I know it more from the song. You know, right, the, yeah. <laughs> you know, they they were playing "Endless Love" on the radio all the Lionel time. Lionel Richie. Now you, Lionel Richie. Yeah, yeah. Lionel Richie, and um, who else? Who was singing the duet with him? Diana Ross. Diana Ross. Yeah, yeah. and it, it. You know, you knew about it. So he was. He's in the movie. You know, just a little bit pay, bit player, and then he's in the movie Taps, mm-hmm. which I remember was kind of a big deal. I think I saw part of it on on Prism. As Scott and I've talked about the uh, the local cable uh, provider that you know from back in the day in the Philadelphia area, where I remember that's kind of what Sean Penn got a lot of notoriety from Taps. Mm-hmm. And I, I went back and I, I remember look, watching it at the time. It was probably a little little beyond where I was at in my life like, at thirteen when I yeah. when I saw it. Just a little side note that that movie was actually filmed not far from where we live. It was filmed at the Valley Forge Military Academy, and my wife Amy's mom, Nancy, my mother-in-law, my beloved mother-in-law, her job was to drive around Sean Penn and Timothy Hutton when they were shooting this movie. So she drove those boys around. At the time, they were probably maybe 20, 21 years old, but that was her job, was to drive them Mm, every day to and from where they were staying to the movie set and she said what she remembers about them is that they were quiet and they chewed a lot of gum okay i think because they were told that they were not allowed to smoke around her so uh, okay um, but yeah that 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 was uh that was taps right so you know major picture so he's in that and then in 1983 um he he gets cast in the outsiders and the outsiders i did see in the theater i, I remember going and seeing i that. remember you seeing we, that in the saw theater. it with a, so so with our cousins and in our sister Lori, so you know, we went in, and this was the a major uh, movie in that this was a who's who of who was going to become a big star. There, it, you know, Patrick Swayze's in this. Uh, C. Thomas Howell is is in this. Um, Ralph Macchio, uh, Ralph Macchio, Matt Damon, Emilio Estevez. Sure, it, it, this this was a big deal. Sure, and and even um, oh, uh, her name is Diane Lane. She was in that. She was sure, uh, she played Cherry. Yeah, right. Yeah, Leaf Garrett was in it. He played the bad guy. Okay, he played the the guy One Bob the that, gets, that gets killed. Yeah. yeah, and he actually did a really good job. But anyway, continue. so so while it was, I mean, it was based on a, a novel that was very popular and it was a big deal. I don't know if at the time it did as much at the box office as what they hoped for, but the fact that Tom Cruise was included. In that, I think said a lot for what Hollywood thought of what this young actor was. Yeah, and he got to work with uh, Francis Ford Coppola directed it, and Coppola uh, directed the Godfather movies, and so you know to work with a to say, oh, I I work with Scorsese, I worked with worked with Coppola. It was a big deal. It was it was kind of like a feather in your cap that you could say, hey, I worked under this particular director, and whoever casted the Outsiders. Like you said, Sean, just about everybody that was in that movie went on to big careers. Mm-hmm. And even even when you watch the movie, a lot of the actors that aren't necessarily the stars of the movie, but some of the people that play like the Soches, 
I recognize them in all. Co- I mean, they've they're working actors. I mean, you're talking about people that didn't disappear. I mean, that cast was was went on to have long and illustrious careers. So he goes from that, and then he does kind of a a campy, cheesy teen coming of age movie called Losing It. Yes, which I definitely saw. We saw that on Prism. <laughs> we, we did that. Had Shelley Long in it. it. It did. It was about a group of high school guys going to Tijuana. And what was the what was the guy's name? He played uh, Kelly in the Bad News Bears. Right. Yeah. He was he was one of the buddies in that it was movie like as well. Bill or Bob or something. Yeah. I, I I don't. I haven't seen it probably since 1983. Okay. So you know it's 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 been a while. But yeah, it, it definitely it it was the guy that played Kelly in Bad News Bears. So he, he does that, you know, not necessarily a, a great movie, but it was, you know, he had kind of a name, you know, as among you know, teenagers, this is, you know, I knew who he was. Now, this is back-to-back movies where I'm kind of recognizing this guy. And then he comes um, out with Risky Business, mm-hmm. which, which is a huge hit. I mean, it's, it's still very much, you know, culturally relevant. The You can't, uh, you know, listening to the, the beginning of, you know, old-time rock and roll without thinking of Tom Cruise sliding across the floor. One of the truly iconic movie uh, scenes of all time, hands down, of the scene of him dancing mm-hmm. to Bob Seger where he's got the shirt and the underwear and he's he's in the house right. by himself. Right, because his parents are away. and that To me, that is, I think that's probably the one scene that you would say just about everybody remembers from that movie uh, outside of any other part. So I'd say for for Gen Xers that are paying attention and that are into movies and into pop culture, you now know who Tom Cruise is. You know, you can't escape him. And then he does one more movie uh, back in 83, which is called All the Right Moves. Which is a movie that you and I really like. Oh, that's, that's a great movie. And for those of you who don't know, it, it's set on a fictional town in western Pennsylvania. It's called, and they call themselves Ampipe, which is it's a factory town, American Pipe company mm-hmm. i think is is the employer and it's kind of that early 80s where you know the the, the steel industry is struggling and you know people um they want to get out and you know he's he's a football player who has issues with the coach you know he's he's this, he's a good player he's 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 a relatively smart kid he's a b student and he just wants to get out but he has these conflicts with uh, craig t nelson who's mm-hmm. the coach you know who then goes on to play coach later on and tell me, Craig T. Nelson wasn't the most believable movie coach you've ever seen. Oh, I yeah. Think, I think it was, again, you're talking about a very well-casted movie. And he, he was a main character, but he wasn't like the whole driving force to the movie kind of character. Very, you could see as he's growing into these parts that he's getting more confident. He's getting more in front of the screen time. But Chris Penn's in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Leah... Uh, uh, from Back to Back the Future, the future. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She Leah uh, Thompson. Leah Thompson. She's in that movie, uh, as you say, Craig T. Nelson. So, the, this is again. A, um, it was a low budget movie. It was it was shot on a on a dime, and ended up being pretty profitable for the movie studio. Didn't do so well. It did better after the release to the movie theaters. We and it's something that Sean and I we, we one of the the one thing we discussed before we went on to uh, recording this is we started talking about the uh, the new empire that was beginning to become video VHS and watching movies at home versus having to go to the movie theater. You are in that 1983 range now. Video cassettes have been around for a number of years before. 
but now it is finally starting to become more accessible. It's starting to become more affordable. You know, the early VHS uh, machines, a VCR back in the day, when they first came out, probably cost you, what, $3,000, $2,000? And this is something, Gen Xers, all of you out there are going to remember this. The first time you saw a movie at home, right, with a cassette, you went and rented that video player, didn't you? We, I mean, yeah. that, that's how you did. That's you would, what we did, yeah. You went to the video store, and you would, you, you, there was a set fee for the, uh, for the VCR, and then you would pick your you know, two, three, four movies that you were going to rent for the weekend, and that is how you viewed movies at home. Because if you bought video, if you bought home movies at that point, if you bought the VHS tapes in the early '80s, they they were charging a hundred dollars per tape. So when you were looking at movies like Risky Business or All the Right Moves, if you wanted to buy that for yourself and keep it, you had to pay at least a hundred dollars for it. Which is why everybody started renting from these video stores. Right. And, you know, and Scott and I, in many of our episodes, we've referenced Prism, which was, you know, for those of you, you know, who didn't hear us earlier, it was kind of a local regional HBO. And it, it gave us access to sports. It gave us access to lots of movies. But you could not watch those movies on demand. You, Correct. You were, you would get a guide, a monthly guide would show up at your house and you would sit down and you would plan out how you were going to get to see these movies. Of course, you know, with the, uh, you know, like the Losing It movie, which is, you know, was kind of a the, the teen movie with, with some nudity in it. They, they might show that late at night. Might be after 10 or 11 o'clock. Might be after 10 or 11 o'clock. So, you know, you, it, you would always kind of, you know, try to schedule around knowing when movies were going to come on because it's like, okay, so if I want to see Risky Business, I, I know it's going to be on Thursday on the 12th at 8 o'clock. Okay. And I couldn't go to a basketball game. I had to make sure I, I was at home watching that. So just to share, kind of like peek the curtain away so you, you get to know my brother and I just a little bit. Those nights, those Friday nights, uh, watching Prism after the Sixers played or the Flyers played on, on Prism, they would show the home game and then the movies would come on afterwards. Our dad would always fall asleep in the recliner every every night and he would be sitting there passed out and these these movies would come on and either i would look at sean or sean would look at me and we would say you want a pizza <laughs> so we would uh at some point our dad would wake up and so as soon as he would wake up he would be all bleary eyed and he would go over and get something to drink and say uh, hey dad you want a pizza and he would always say yes. And then he would always, because uh, the pizza place that we used was called Papa Dino's. And they used to make this, it was a ham and cheese sub that they called a ham boat. And every time Sean and I would say, hey, dad, you want a pizza? And he would say, uh, yeah, call it in and uh, just get me a ham boat. And then we would send him in the middle of the night yeah. in the car yeah. because the pizza place wasn't closed. No, it's it was, 15, 20 minutes away. Yeah, I mean, back then, we one, only, one way. Yeah, so we only had an like, hour round trip. We had like one pizza place that was, you know, serving the entire city. And uh, yeah, we would send him out in the middle of the night and he would always come back and he'd usually somehow get like chips and Coke <laughs> and we'd have ourselves a little little banquet feast. So that was. That was one of the memories that when we talk about these movies and these time slots with Prism, as a movie, a memory that kind of stood out in my See, mind. But think about it, though, Scott. I mean, what family bonding we had right there. Midnight, <laughs> we're, we're watching, like, losing it, risky business, or all the right moves, probably. Yeah. I mean, we're sitting there, and uh, we're sharing a pizza, and, you know, 
having a bag of chips and you know having a good old it was, time it was, it was good time so yeah. yeah so that's kind of how we had to do it back then but as as the technology improved as, as is always the case you know we see it today especially at, you know when technology comes out it's new it's expensive but uh, you know now it's like within a few months that technology is, is outdated but back then it might take a few years so as as we're kind of ramping towards 1986 which is when we're going to come out with top gun you know, we go from 1983, where we, you and I are still kind of watching these movies on Prism. And we may, we'll go see them in the theater, but we're not, we're not old enough yet to see our movies mm-hmm. without someone taking us. Uh, so, you know, that's all going to change you know, later on with, with the videos. But so anyway, so with Tom Cruise's career, he's got a lot of momentum coming out of 83. The, he, there is six consecutive movies that are pretty successful that he's in and he's getting a bigger role in each of these you know he's he's the main the main actor in risky business and he's the main guy in you know all, all the right moves so as he he does a movie um, in 1985 and it's called legends I never saw legends I don't know if you ever saw that movie. I saw parts of it it I did not like it that's kind of a futuristic movie. Yeah, it's very science fiction. So, and that's it's directed by Ridley Scott, and that's probably the most notable thing of the movie because this very next movie is going to be Top Gun, which is going to be directed by Ridley's brother Tim. Mm-hmm. And I don't or want, Tony. I'm sorry, Tony, Tony, not Tim. And I don't want to. I don't want to disparage. I mean, there may be a lot of people listening to this podcast that they say the Legend is one of their favorite movies. I'm not saying it was a bad movie. I'm saying I just didn't care for it because I've never really been a big science fiction fan. I've never really been into sci-fi. So the fact that he stepped into that, it wasn't really my, wasn't my area of, of viewing that I found, you know, I just wasn't interested. I, I tried to watch a little bit of it and it just, it seemed to me it was like it was very over the top, which, uh, you know, that's the way it was designed to be. Right. And so I just didn't, it was just not a movie that I was a big fan of. And for those of you who, you know, may have heard the name Ridley Scott, I mean, I think what he's most famous for is Gladiator. Aliens. Yeah, yeah he right. He did the Aliens movies. So, you know, Ridley Scott had a lot of visuals. That's kind of was, is his big thing, you know, that he was always known for, you know, was the, with that. And so, anyway, so Tom does this movie, Legends, and even though it's not successful, it's still, he's part of a major production, working for a major director. Right. And then he is approached to take part in this movie that nobody really thinks is going to be anything. No, and they they didn't because the the, the whole concept of the movie was based on an article that had been written about this flight school that was out in San Diego, California, where these pilots were going and they were being trained to be the best pilots in the world. And that was the whole premise of the... And there's actually, you know, some, some... kind of baseline storylines with some of the characters uh you know we'll get into the viper character in a little bit but there are some there's some storylines that were kind of based on real life events with some of the pilots that Mm -hmm. that helped out with the movie but this was shot into with total cooperation with the united states navy and that caused a little bit of problem it did to, to get a cast because as they were trying to cast these roles, and we'll, we're going to get into the soundtrack quite a bit because the Top Gun soundtrack goes to number one, and it is as much a part of the pop culture of 1986-1987 as what the movie is. And there's a lot of artists that did not want to be associated with what they thought was kind of military propaganda. 
Yes. And because it was shot with the assistance from the military. Total assistance from the military. They were There were a lot of people that backed away. Um, I guess we could probably start sharing names. Yeah, like go ahead. One of the, uh, one of the songs um, was they, they approached Brian Adams. Oh, it's for Danger uh, Zone. Yeah, it's for Danger Zone. And Brian, Adam, Brian Adams uh, decided not to take part in it because of the, the pro-military stance of the movie. Well, it wasn't. It wasn't just him. So, give, give you a little info. If you want, to, I want you to go ahead and, and we, we can get into Danger Zone and give a little taste of, of of what this great song is. And when you think of it, I'd like to think of the the person who actually wrote it, which is Georgia Maroder. And Georgia Maroder is the is the father of disco, and we talked about him in our disco uh, episode that we had. I'm trying to set the scene for like the beginning of the movie. How this okay. is actually how it starts. Well, and and this this is um, the Top Gun anthem. This is the Top Gun anthem, and it was written by Harold Faltermeyer Faltermeyer and Steve Stevens, who's most famous for playing guitar for Billy Idol. Right. So Harold Faltermeyer he wrote Axel F. Yes, for uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Correct. Yeah. So this is this is you see the guys getting on the uh, working on the aircraft carrier. So, and you know, while we're not going to go scene by scene with everything in this movie, I think we're going to we're going to try to touch on some of the iconic things. And and you, I mean, you can keep going with it if you want. And well, there we go. There's it, because at some point on the deck, you know, we're watching. You know, they're they're getting ready for takeoff. And then as soon as the plane's ready to take off, there we go. We go right into the danger zone. And the thing, this is where the the brilliance of the imagery really kind of takes shape in this movie. And that's one of the strengths of this movie from the start is the imagery behind the story as well. You have a strong soundtrack, but this movie was produced by a, 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 a duo named Jerry Bruckheimer and Don Simpson. I think right. it's worth mentioning both of those men because these guys were about the hottest producers in Hollywood up to this point. They had just come off of a huge movie known as Beverly Hills Cop, which we talked about in our Eddie Murphy episode. But they also they started working together with the movie Flashdance, which ended up being very popular and very similar to Top Gun. Yes. So, it, in fact, all three movies kind of follow the same formula, where they're working hand in hand with MTV. So, the soundtrack for all three of these movies, the soundtracks, is extremely important, and they bring in some some big names. You know, they, Harold Faltermeyer, you know, who you talked about, you know, and who scores this, who, who writes this. Uh, well, he doesn't write this song, but he, he, you know, he scores the movie, and they they worked with him with Beverly Hills Cop, and so he comes in, and so we have songs that are ready. So now with Danger Zone, you talked about Brian Adams turned it down, uh, Starship turned it down, mm-hmm. so Starship kind of had a little bit of, re- of a revival. They they came back and they we built this city came out before this, and. Once again, because of the pro-military part of it, they, they took a pass on it. Mm-hmm. The band Toto was supposed to play the song. Right. They had, it wasn't that they didn't agree with the, the pro-military stance. It just, the legal issues they came into a, play. Yeah, they got into a contract dispute. And by the, and they actually ended up did recording, they did record a song for the soundtrack, but it didn't get picked up for as far as being part of the soundtrack. So I'll give you an interesting little side note. So in in our Don't Call Them Hair Bands episode, you know, I talk about in how when White Snake re-records Here I Go Again and they come out with the radio edit. 
And I said that there was a studio musician by the name of Dan Huff who does redoes the guitars for that song, right? And I said, because in the 80s, if it wasn't Dan Huff, it was Steve Lukather. Mm-hmm. Steve Lukather is the guitarist in Toto. Right. Toto does not do Danger Zone. Who do they bring into the guitar on Danger Zone? Would that be Dan Huff? It's Dan Huff. So when you hear that screaming guitar, it's it's amazing how in the 80s, the jobs went to three guys. There's another guy named Michael Landau who doesn't, he never played in a band, right. really. So, you know, Dan Huff had some notoriety with his band Giant and then as a producer. But it's those three guys, and they kind of all sound similar. Well, you had mentioned when we talked about the groups that passed and the singers that passed on the song Danger Zone, Brian Adams, not so much. Starship and Toto, I can absolutely hear them singing that song. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it certainly is written with their ear in mind. And that that higher-pitched voice that Kenny Loggins has, right? I mean, it, it would have fit those bands well. Mickey Thomas, yeah. I can, I can definitely mm-hmm. see those guys. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, so, that I mean, that's, that's interesting. One of the uh, when I talked about Bruckheimer and Simpson, these guys are, are on a, on a bit of a hot streak. Uh, very just to talk about Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer, they were friends. They had known each other for many years prior to the production of Top Gun. But there was I remember reading an article in People Magazine, and this would have been this was after the movie Days of Thunder was getting ready to come out. So People Magazine did a feature on Bruckheimer and Simpson. And Jerry Jerry Bruckheimer was this very kind of quiet, reserved Mm -hmm. guy behind the scenes. He was he was really into the artistic side of the films. So when you're looking, when you think about the the Jerry Bruckheimer productions, you know we had mentioned Flashdance, Beverly Hills Cop. He also did Bad Boys with Will Smith and Martin Lawrence in the '90s. He was the producer behind the CSI franchise that's Mm -hmm. been running on TV for roughly the last 20, 25 years. Pirates of the Caribbean. Pirates of the Caribbean movies. And so when you hear the name Bruckheimer and then when you think of all those names that we just mentioned, they kind of have similar uh, attitudes in the movie, which is interesting to me because Bruckheimer is known to be such a laid-back person. Don Simpson, on the other hand, is very much not was oh, no. not he he it passed away in the uh, mid 90s 96 yeah and he was known to be this hollywood uh, you know larger than life personality that did a ton of drugs and was a womanizer he was the type of person that never washed his clothes he would just go out and buy new ones he would only wear them once yeah he just he had these was known for having these unbelievably wild parties in hollywood Yet these two guys were friends. Now, uh, Simpson was known to be very difficult to work for. Bruckheimer has always been known to be very, you know, a, a good person to work with. So it's funny how I, I guess opposites, you know, attract each other in friendships. But they they were very different people. But they at this point they were still riding this unbelievable wave of successful movies. But there's, you know, the you know you had talked about the MTV influence. I think that's. It's an imagery that kind of builds adrenaline. If you think about Beverly Hills Cop, Flashdance, Bad Boys, they, all these movies, they they lead up to uh, they're they're kind of like they kind of like set your senses on edge. Like when Top Gun the movie opens up, what's the first thing you're you're watching? You're not you're not watching acting. You're watching these 
these planes take off from an aircraft carrier. You're, you're watching a music video. And it's the coolest thing. Yeah. I, I remember the first time I ever watched the opening scene of the movie and really credit, I don't know who was behind it, whether it was Bruckheimer, Simpson, whoever, uh, Tony Scott, but the sound quality for Top Gun was actually digitally enhanced through Dolby. Dolby Sound was one of those things that if you listen to or if you watch a video cassette or watch the movie, a home movie, from in the early 80s, the sound quality was not good. You, know, you could watch a movie, like if you wanted to go to the video store and rent the movie Grease. Mm-hmm. Grease has an unbelievable soundtrack, but if you watch one of those old videotapes, the sound quality is very poor. This was one of the first movies that I remember where the sound kind of leaps out at you. And because you have the, the, the sound of the jets and the sound of the music, and it's, it's, it's loud, and it really kind of grabs your attention in the beginning of the movie. And that's, you know, we had talked about this before uh, we went on the air, you know, the fact that Scott and I both saw this movie on VHS. It, even though it was a, a big deal in the summer, I, I just didn't get around to, to seeing it. And when it came out on, on cassette, I remember, you know, being told, oh, you got to see this movie. But you, when you see it, you got you to gotta experience it with a surround sound system. Mm-hmm. And I remember... We were at the beach, and you know, we're, we're at my one friend Todd Todd Whitmer's his parents had, had a condo at the beach, and we went there, and we they had a brand new surround sound system, and we popped this video in, and that opening scene, as I remember when I was told that you had to go watch this thing and listen to it with the surround sound, is for that opening scene, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, just the beginning. I, I want to tell you what happens, you know. My, my one buddy was like, but whatever you do, you got you got to see that and really take it and put the volume up really loud and. So that's what we did. And, and, you know, it's just like etched in my memory where I was sitting at the time and just thinking, this is incredible. Yeah, it really, it really stood out in terms of the quality of is one of the first affordable video cassettes or, you know, VHS tapes that you could buy because, it, you know, the prices started dropping. VCRs started becoming more affordable. We had just purchased our first VCR right around the time this movie came out. And so we're at, we're in 1986. I know we were a lot further behind than some of our friends were in terms of VCRs, but you know, I think I think when we finally ended up buying one, we got one that was you know quote unquote cheap, and we paid like seven hundred dollars for it. Right. Yeah. You know, the expensive ones were, were way more expensive than that, but still, uh, this was a, a video that you could watch or you could buy. Have it, have it in your hands, watch it over and over again, and pay like 30 bucks for it. So think about that with that opening scene. You know, they, they kind of set set the mood. You know, they, they kind of flash on and up on the screen. It's almost like a Star Wars type of where they put the, uh, the words up there and kind of start to set the mood. And, you know, you talk about Don Simpson. And he, from what they – I watched a documentary on him. And he was, as you say, he was a wild man. He was a partier, and they, they said that he was really the first rock star producer in Hollywood. I can see that. And that's how he, he approached life. That's how he you know, kind of wanted to be treated. That's he, What the rock stars were doing was what he was going to do. Yeah, so the, the, the teaming of Bruckheimer and Simpson, they were their nicknames were um, Bruckheimer was Mr. Outside and Simpson was Mr. Inside. Bruckheimer was, had these amazing film connections throughout uh, you know, the movie industry, 
like where to shoot, what's the best, the most affordable way to do. Cause you know, you're producing the movie Simpson. He was the contacts person. So he knew he was, he was incorporated with everybody in Hollywood. So if he, the chances are, if you're trying to find somebody for a project, it would be Don Simpson would be the one to make the phone call. So that, that's why they were called Mr. Inside, Mr. Outside. And the fact that they'd already had success with flash dance, you know, kind of using, you know, the MTV model where we're going to create some videos and the videos are going to be clips from the movie. Mm-hmm. And then they did the same thing with Beverly Hills Cop, which, you know, which is a humongous hit. Then they come back and they, they do this once again with the with Top Gun, where um, I said how it went number one uh, as an album. The number one, that song that, that you played, uh, Danger Zone, is number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Kenny Loggins steps in. You know, we'll talk about a, another Kenny Loggins song uh, here on the list a little bit later on. But, you know, Kenny was kind of because he was part of the project because he does write another song for the famous uh, beach volleyball scene that they have you know he he gets brought in and, and just just does a vocal and and they get it out right away but the fact is they were anticipating that they were going to be releasing a lot of videos and and having you know video clips kind of sell the movie on MTV did you want to cover any other uh, the any other cast members at this point yeah well, why don't we, we do that let's okay. get let's get into that all right, so uh, obviously Tom Cruise was set to uh, play the lead, uh, Pete Maverick Mitchell. Kelly McGillis was an interesting choice as the uh, character of, of Charlie, Charlotte, who is the astrophysicist who ends up being the uh, love interest of, of Maverick in the first movie. We're actually quite familiar with Kelly McGillis locally at this point. I know she was in a... In a Major motion picture uh, production. It was shot here in Lancaster. Mm-hmm. So, and it was it, 1985. It was 1985. It starred Harrison Ford and Kelly McGillis. The name is Witness. And every once in a while, it'll make its rounds on TV. You'll you'll see she it. She plays an Amish woman. She plays, and she does a, a pretty credible job for a Hollywood actress to play somebody Amish. Now. You know, if many of our listeners here have grown up and live in Lancaster County, so we're quite familiar. I've known many Amish folks over the years, so I really don't know if, if ever, Hollywood will nail that you know to a T. Right. But I thought for the most part she did a fairly decent job, particularly in the beginning of the movie when she is. You know, you can tell she's familiar with uh, you know the way people like they're in a train station in Philadelphia. And then, um, but she does a decent job. She's she's a decent actress, so she's cast to to play this this, I guess you would say, sexy kind of a vixen looking female. So right. that's going to be the that's going to have to win us over because we just remember the plain dress Kelly McGillis from the first movie. But we were at least familiar with the actress. Sure, and you know, the the the, the next major character would be the um, you know Tom Iceman Kaczynski is played by Val Kilmer. Mm-hmm. I was very familiar with Val Kilmer. Yes. You know, he was in the movie Top Secret and yes. Real Genius. Yes. You know, those are those are two kind of slapstick comedies where this kind of, you know, charming, pretty boy uh, actor, he kind of plays the same character in both in a lot of ways. The funny thing about, about Val Kilmer is back in those days uh, when people said he was a or you know, accused him of being a pretty boy type actor. He always took a lot of offense to that because 
He's like, well, look at the look at the characters I'm playing. You know, the in Top Secret, he's he's playing a goofball like Elvis impersonator, and in uh, Real Genius, he's this you know hyper intelligent uh, super genius. Right. So it's like, like he's trying to you know, it's not like Johnny Depp and Crybaby. You know, so he's he's basically playing these characters. Yeah, he's he's a character actor who just happens to be a pretty handsome guy, and I think he always took offense to when they said that he was trying to be a pretty boy on, on in in movies. Well, I don't think he's trying to be a pretty boy. I think he was a pretty boy. <laughs> well, I think yeah. that's just, just how it was. So at least once again, this is it's kind of with this movie. A lot of these characters, I, I know who they are, mm-hmm. and they're they're recognizable. Where they're they're big, but they're not huge. How about the real? How about the shocker of the cast? The one that probably surprised you the most. The fact that Tim Robbins was Merlin? Well, I mean, he ended up going on to, to quite a career. That was his, I think that was his first movie. I, right? I, I, I didn't even know he was in the movie until I went back and researched it. And then I'm like looking at the kiss. I'm like, wow, Tim Robbins was Merlin? And Tim, sure enough, Tim he Robbins was. Tim yeah. Robbins was Merlin. Shawshank yeah. Redemption, fame, Tim Robbins. And, and um, So what, who, who's your shocker? Well, I mean, the one that probably surprised me the most was Anthony Edwards being cast in a in a movie where he's playing a military. Where he's character. not playing a nerd. Exactly. For I mean, Revenge of the Nerds. When when he plays, uh, you oh know, yeah, when, I would, that, that was shocking. When he plays, uh, you know, Gilbert in uh, Revenge of the Nerds, one of the great characters, mm-hmm. one of the great movies of the early '80s, Revenge of the Nerds. I still love it when it comes on TV. Just. It's such a funny. It's such a funny movie because it tells a, a side of a story of people that are getting tired of being picked on, and they actually win out over the uh, you know the jocks and the, and the popular people. But Anthony Edwards is in that, but he steps away from that almost immediately because that came out in 1984. 1985, he comes out with a movie called Gotcha, which is a movie that you and I watched many times on Prism, and that starred Linda Fiorentino where it's kind of a spy. He's a college student going to Europe on, on a break, and he is uh, being, she is a CIA agent, and she's undercover, kind of brings him in, and uh, he ends up being chased by the KGB and, and the uh, Soviet Union because we're at the top of the you know mm-hmm. height of the Cold War. So he tried to change break character from, from playing a nerd. Uh, so he's trying to play a little bit more of, a, of an adult, but he's great in Top Gun. Oh yeah, I no, love the, the, the Goose, Goose character. I love his character. It, in this movie. I, so um, you know, spoiler alert: it's it's you know it came out in 1986, but Goose dies, and I remember being really upset. Yeah, I when, didn't. I didn't I, want. I do. I was. I did not want his character to it, die. It bummed me out, and I went back and you know to you know, as I said, I watched this this you know again. I actually watched it three times, you know, to get ready because I kind of liked it. and I went back and watched it a, a couple more times, and. Each time, I keep hope. I hope Goose doesn't die. Well, another another character, one of the one of the kind of characters in the background, uh, Clarence Gilliard. Does that name stand out to you? Uh, is that the guy who played Dolvet on on? He played. He was Sundown. In yeah, he played. Top he Gun. was Dolvet on Texas Walker. Yes, he Ranger. worked with Chuck Norris. Yeah, but also he was in another very famous movie in the nineteen eighties and had. Kind of a funny character, although he played a bad guy. Um, he was Theo in Die Hard. He was the computer guy okay. in the movie Die Hard. Yes, yes, so yes, yes, he was. In um, in Top Gun, he was he rode with with Maverick one time. 
And and he gets on Maverick. Yeah, and Maverick turns around and grabs him and yells at yeah. him. And uh, so that was kind of his moment in the movie. But uh, Clarence Gilliard played Theo in the movie Die Hard. So okay. we're, uh, you know, connect your dots right there. Right. Well, and, and then, you know, another character. And we'll, I, so I, we'll kind of lead into the beginning of the movie. So and, and that's the, the cougar character. Right. So the, the way the movie starts out is they kind of really laid the ground groundwork for us. They they give us a little background as I talk about the words up on the screen, kind of like a Star Wars telling us about this Top Gun school that's out there. You know, that the fact that the the military in 1969, their 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 combat skills aren't quite what they used to be. Like in the Korean War, they they're the the pilots rely on their missiles a little bit too much. The technology they need to get their their dogfighting skills back again. So we're going to tease with that. We get we get the Top Gun anthem. We get Danger Zone, and now we're out there in the Indian Ocean. Mm-hmm. And suddenly we are, uh, you know, cruising along, and we find out that hey, there's some there's some MIGs up there in the air, and um, uh, you know the commander Stryker wants to know who's out there. And of course, well, you know, there's Cougar Merlin, which is good. And then there's Maverick and Goose. And, of course, then we, we find out early on, well, the commander doesn't necessarily like uh, Maverick and Goose because, like, oh, no, Maverick and Goose. <laughs> yeah, he, he plays um, – he's also in the movie Back to the Future. He plays yeah. the principal. And uh, his name is James Tolkien. Um, and he is uh, played uh, C- um, Rear Admiral Tom Stinger Jordan – Jardian, sorry. And he's the commander of the ship. And um, as much as he can't stand Maverick, I think throughout the course of the movie, you, he recognizes he recognizes how good of a pilot he is. It's just one of those things about Maverick, the pilot, is can he ever become a team player? It's it's a matter of ego, right? With with Maverick, and we'll find out throughout the movie that he's he's chasing the ghost of his father, and he's there's no one quite knows well at least those who you know weren't at the event no one really knows what happened to his father over in vietnam and he just kind of is dealing with this that this this his father did something wrong and here he is you know this guy who's got this chip on his shoulder he's this incredible pilot he's got great nerve he's got great skills he's very instinctive everybody always says but he just sabotages himself he just can't get out of his own way and we find out pretty early on he just won't follow orders right and there is a moral compass in there because what he does and he's he's told you know by the admiral the commander of the ship that he goes out you know they they run into these migs they get uh maverick gets radar lock on one of the migs that mig takes off right the second mig gets radar lock on cougar and cougar freaks out uh, you know, we're at the height of the Cold War, 1986. Doesn't get any probably more stressful or strenuous between the United States and, and the Soviet Union than right around that time because nuclear weapons are definitely a reality in all of our lives. We don't have to tell you Gen Xers that that was the case. Um, so Cougar gets gets radar locked and he starts to panic. And, you know, Goose and Maverick start to have this conversation where, uh, you know, Goose is like, yeah, he's got, you know, he's, he's, he's going to shoot. And, and Maverick's like, nah, he'd have done it by now. I think he's just, you know, he's just trying to, just trying to make everybody mad. He's just trying to be a, just trying to, uh, just, you know, just trying to piss us off. And 
So they're like, yeah, so Maverick being Maverick, he's like, instead of trying to do things the by the book, he decides to have a little bit of fun with him. Right. He, he flies over above the MIG. He gets inverted with the MIG, so he's upside down. Uh, they're looking at each other, and Maverick flips in the bird. And Goose takes a picture. And Goose takes a Polaroid picture. <laughs> Total Gen X uh, camera up there. He's got the Polaroid, snaps the photo, the MIG takes off. And I think one of the reasons why this movie has such durability and last, has lasted so long, that shot was really done. That where he inverts and goes down to the cockpit of the of the plane below. That maneuver was actually done, and it was done by the guy who makes a cameo appearance in the movie. Uh, we'll talk about that sure, scene we'll a little bit later. One. Yeah, right. So, you know, and the, so here's the idea. Sorry, so the mix they, they take off. Now it's just uh, you know it's you know it's Maverick and Goose and it's it's Cougar and Merlin. So they're running low on fuel. So Maverick and Goose they head back to the ship. And right as they're getting ready to, to get on the ship, you know, they find out, you know, Cougar hasn't come back. Merlin's, they can hear Merlin yeah. yelling at him in the radio. He won't snap out of it. It's this, this, the idea that he's, and they show the photo uh, in the cockpit where Cougar has his wife and child, which we learn later on. He has, still hasn't met his child yet. Right. And so he is, um, uh, you know, this, this just has this profound effect on him and he just can't snap out of it. So... Maverick comes back, he's ready to land, he decides he's going to bounce back, and he skips off on the runway and goes right back out to try to help Cougar come back in again. Despite the fact that he's getting every warning in his ear from the ship that he needs to land this. Commander Stinger, uh, you know, the the guy in charge is telling him, you land that plane. So, but Maverick decides to go against orders and go out and try and save his friend, which he ends up doing. Right. You know, they talk they talk him back. Uh, you know, Cougar is he's still not with it, but yet they somehow manage to land the plane, their lives are saved. Now now did you in your research did you read about how the original what they were originally gonna do with Cougar? No. Originally Cougar's supposed to die. Okay. And he was supposed to crash the plane. However, the the Navy stepped in and said because this movie is gonna be part recruitment, that they cannot have basically make it look that dangerous where, you know, you're going to, you know, crash the plane like the, in the opening scene. So they insisted on it being kind of a rocky landing. He lands it right, shaken up. And then he ends up going into Stinger's office and turns on his wings. Says that he, in, in his words, he said, I'm, I'm holding on too tight, which means that the, Fear of leaving his wife and child away, you know, it's that fear of dying. And if you're a pilot and you're flying at that level, you can't carry that fear with you. Otherwise, it will impair your judgment when you're out there making fighting decisions. So here's the thing with with the Maverick character and where I think that people, why they still liked him, you know, why Gen Xers, why we liked Maverick so much, even though he was so cocky is because to be a fighter pilot, you are always on the edge and you have to be supremely confident. And the movie kind of comes back to this because we'll see it with Maverick himself later on. If you lose your confidence at all, you're in trouble. You have to be over the top confident. And when they finally will, when he finally does get to Top Gun, you find that he's not a rarity. 
You know, you're basically going into a flight school where everybody, to some extent, is that exact way that you describe. It's the best of the best. Right. It's the top 1%. So everyone's going to have the same personality. So, you know, he does a very heroic thing, saves uh, Cougar and Merlin. And then, but then guess what? He gets called in to Stinger's office and him and Goose have to go in and bear the brunt of Stinger's anger, which he definitely gives it to him, uh, you know, double barrels at that particular time. Yeah. And, but one little thing with the actor who played Cougar, do you know who he was? Remember him at all? I remember him. He was in a movie that we watched on Prism. It was in two movies we watched on Prism. The one was a skiing movie uh, where he played like, um, what do they call freestyle skier? Yeah. yeah. And it was called, was it called Top or Hot? Hot Dogs. Hot Dogs. But Hot he, Dog the movie. He, he was he was in um, Losing It. That's right. He, he was, was one of the buddies that went down to Tijuana with the, Tom Cruise. He was, the, he was the friend that could get the girls. Yes. He was the good looking guy. He, he, right, exactly. And he was also in a very famous Stephen King movie, Christine. Christine, yes. Yes. Yeah. So that, you know, kind of leading up to this. I thought it was interesting, you know, what sometimes when you'll see actors work together, you know, often wonder if they had any pool, if Tom Cruise had any pool to kind of get that small role for Cougar mm-hmm. in this, for John Stockwell in this part. But so Cougar and, and Merlin were the number one crew out there. And because now Cougar has stepped down, well, you know, Maverick and Goose have gone from number two to number one. And because Stinger has to send somebody to Top Gun, He's now going to send Maverick and Goose. They're going to get their shot. Yeah, and before he even tells them that they are they're getting ready to go to Miramar, that he kind of gives a little rundown of Maverick and Goose's military career up to that their, point, their exploits, and how the fact that he's had promotions, he's been busted down from from two promotions by him for the fact that he keeps he can't stop getting in trouble, and I think whether you're a Gen X or anybody, you probably have known people in your life that are like that. It's a relatable character. It's a guy who has just a supreme talent, but for some reason just finds some way to, you know, to blow it up, be self-destructive in their lives and just take this unbelievable skill and do nothing with it, which yeah, but, up to that point he had done. But it's great though, Scott, because he's getting chewed out, right? He's he's by his commanding officer dreaming him out, and he says, "Yeah," he goes, "You know, talking about they like to buzz the towers." So he does, you know, we're at five passes and one pass at, at an admiral's daughter. What does Goose do in the middle of getting chewed out? <laughs> he leans every good. He's like Penny Benjamin, <laughs> and, and 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 Maverick is just like you know, cocky little smile. It's yeah. like they even when they're getting reprimanded, they still have this attitude. Yeah, and we'll and we'll see just that playfulness between the two of them. And they, they Cruz and Edwards do a great job of being like best friends on camera. It's I totally bought it. Oh yeah, Maverick and Goose, you can tell they are tight. That they, you know, at some point they formed a bond. I mean, you know, you know, and I played sports, you, you'll get that with some of your teammates that you'll just end up being really tight. And you can just tell that, that Maverick and goose just, they have each other's back and they are a team. Yeah. And so now they get their chance to go to, uh, to top gun school and they're there. And they're the famous scene of, of Tom on his motorcycle or Maverick on his yeah. motorcycle riding down the runway as the fighter jets are taking off from, from the uh, landing strip 
and we hear danger zone once again. So, Absolutely. so we immediately go from the uh, you know from the ship, and we're suddenly there. We're at at in California. We're at Fighter Town. We're going to Top Gun. Tom Cruise is on his, and, and I wrote this down. So because I know people like to know the exact number, so he's on a Kawasaki GPZ nine hundred R. Which somehow makes its way into Maverick. Well, the movie. it was it was the modern version. It's, it's the modern descendant of that motorcycle. So as, as updates have come along, the one in Maverick is is a Kawasaki. It's just the, the latest generation of it. And what was important about that motorcycle is it was the first production motorcycle to go over 150 miles an hour. Okay. And I think it topped out at 155. I remember that being a very fast, it was, fast bike. So... While there were fast bikes, as far as one uh, bikes that we would see on the street, where people might go zooming down the highway past us, that was probably the first one. Yeah, uh, I believe they would be called crotch rockets. That is exactly what we used to call crotch rockets back in the day. Yeah. Okay. So they, uh, you know, now they're they're finally they get to uh, San Diego, and they are uh, getting ready to uh, to start to meet the people that are around them. So we get to meet Jester. So Jester is the, you know you know like the the number two man there at Top Gun. Uh, we're, he's he's going to basically give you some history. It's kind of nice because as the viewer, where he brings the the room of uh, young pilots and and RIOs, the uh, the radio intercept officers, the up to speed as far as what they're in store for as they're working there at Top Gun, and gives a bit of, of the history. He talks about how in the Korean War that our planes. We're able to, you know, win 12 to 1. And then in Vietnam, lost some of our skills. And suddenly we were only winning, you know, three to every one, every one loss. And so the idea of that is that they're going to they're gonna develop these skills. They're the best of the best. And then we get introduced to Viper. Played by Tom Skerritt, mm-hmm. who wasn't a very prominent actor. But when this, when this movie was made in 1986, he was already about 50 years old. He was very close to it. He was very, it was, I think it might, he was maybe in mid-50s. I mean, I think it's kind of very age-appropriate. I mean, they cast him as that he would have flown in Vietnam, because they talk, they talk about that, that he was the very first uh, number one in his class at Top Gun. And the thing to, to know about Tom Skerritt is he was in the military in real life. He had a military background, so he brings a lot of credibility to the character. Mm-hmm. He knows how an officer is supposed to stand in front of a, a you know a group of subordinates or speak to a group of subordinates. He had a very he had such an authoritative tone to him. It's like you could tell, even though he never yelled at anybody, that you didn't mess with this man because he was very intimidating. But yet. As the movie goes on, where he is, you know, the guy in charge of Top Gun, and of course, you know, Maverick and Goose get in trouble right away. Sure, first day. (laughs) (laughs) So they they get in trouble from day one. But even though he takes, you know, takes a a gruff tone with them, he continues to let them uh, keep flying in the school. Well, from the the first time uh, Viper meets Maverick and Goose. Of course, at that same time, we get to meet, uh, Iceman and his Rio, which is Slider. Then we meet Hollywood and Wolfman. And as, as Viper is speaking to the group, all of a sudden Maverick starts staring down Iceman. You know, he's looking over his shoulder and Iceman's doing the same thing back to him. 
Well, Val Kilmer's doing that thing with the pen. Yeah. Where he's he's rolling the pen between yeah. his fingers. And he's just, you know, he's being hyper cool. Yeah. And hence the name Iceman, where he's just kind of like staring down Maverick because Maverick's sitting in the front row. So he has to, Maverick has to turn and look behind him to see who else is in the room, which he starts looking around the room. Mm-hmm. And of course, then Goose says, what are you doing? And he goes, just trying to figure out who's the best. And right on cue. And then Viper's like, in case any of you are trying to figure out who's the best, and then he goes into the competition. And then a, a pretty famous part of the movie is when he says, you know, do you think, do you think you're oh, yeah. one of the, do you think you're the best in this room? And everybody sits there quietly, and then Maverick goes, yes, sir. And Viper like, says, that's pretty arrogant for considering the company that you're in. And Maverick goes, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. He goes, I like that in a pilot. Right. And so they, right away, he puts himself on the map there in the class in, in front of everybody. But, you know, when you do that, sometimes you put a target on yourself as well, which right away, Iceman, play, you know, Val Kilmer, is uh, he's kind of dialed in on Maverick. I, I think they there's no real backstory there. It seems like Iceman and Goose knew each other from flight school. Correct. So there's a little bit of familiarity there. And uh, it's it's Goose who tells Maverick, you want to know who the best guy is? It's that guy right there. Okay. And then that takes us to that, that evening where they're at a bar. And here we have a, a song by uh, Tina Maria called Lead Me On which was on the, the soundtrack. Not necessarily a hit, but you can kind of hear it playing in the background. And there's this cool party going on, and all the uh, all the guys are there, and they're dressed whites. Well, it, you know, it's interesting to me that there's, there's basically two bars portrayed in this movie. And the first one is extremely 80s-centric. Yeah. It's got, like, the stone white walls and the modern furniture. Whereas a little bit later in the movie, when Goose and you know meets up with his wife, who's played by the lovely Meg Ryan mm-hmm. and his son, the bar is very different. It's very very homey, very down to earth. Um, it's actually a, like a barbecue joint in real life. But that's but this one here, this is like I don't know what what kind of a night, what kind of a club would be. Uh, you know, if you're a Gen X listener, what what would be comparable to in your area? But it was very trendy at the time, right? And it's it's kind of a an event that they're going to that night. Obviously, they're they're everyone's at the social event, and they're they're kind of trying to one up each other. So you have these these young guys, very accomplished, very filled with testosterone, very much trying to intimidate one another. I I remember. It, there, there's the the scene um, where Maverick gets to meet Iceman for the mm-hmm. first time, and and you know because as you said, Goose knew him from flight school, and and we you know kind of talked to Slider, and Slider's being like a total jerk while while he's talking to him. He's like he keeps like doing shots, and it's it, just the fact that he's at this like kind of dressed up formal event, and he's just getting you know shooting him back. There's a lot of testosterone going on in in the room, and um. Yeah, the, I would say um, Rick Rosovich, who who you know plays the wingman, uh, or slider. The, the, yeah, slider. Yeah, I think he <laughs> he kind of kicks that off where it's like it's it's very much locker room type conversation, right? Where you know he's making you know phallic references when he's talking to Goose, mm-hmm. and 
so then they come up, yes. And although Slider and Iceman have not met Maverick, Iceman certainly starts bringing up some things about Maverick in their conversation. Right. He knew, he knew Cougar from flight school. Right. And, uh, you know, knows all about the situation, how, you know, you know, in his mind, Maverick doesn't deserve to be there. It should be Cougar. And uh, that Maverick's a bit of an outsider. He likes to work alone. He's, you know, kind of a lone ranger, not a team player, which is what you need to have when you are, you know, have somebody's wingman. Well, he, he probably throws the, the, I guess, the harshest verbal dagger at Maverick's way when the... Iceman just very plainly says, so, have you figured it out yet? <laughs> and Maverick's like, what's that? He goes, Who, who's the best pilot? And Maverick says, I can figure that one out on my own. And Iceman goes, yeah, I, I heard that about you. You like to work alone. Yeah, right. And and then that was, uh, but so obviously Maverick's reputation had preceded him. And here is where I'll, you know, I'll say that Val Kilmer does a real good job taking on the role because, you know, as we talked about his previous two roles and in top secret and real genius, he's, he's very likable and he's, you know, you know, kind of goofy, kind of, you know, charming here. He's very arrogant, very cocky. And I immediately did not like Iceman based on that scene, which is kind of what they want from want you to do. Absolutely. And it turns out that he, he, where it looks like he is against Maverick for Maverick the person, as you find out, uh, there's probably more of the fact that this is a guy who's just very serious about about his craft. And at the end of the movie, uh, you know, it turns out he is, you know, very good at what he does, one of the best. But um, you know, there is it's probably a combination of the two in the movie is. He, he doesn't think he deserves to be there. He shouldn't be attaining where what he's attained. And that does, the question is, would you trust flying with this guy? So here's here's the thing. So when when we meet Iceman and Goose kind of gives the background, why he's called Iceman, because he doesn't make mistakes. He basically sits back there. He's cool and calm. He waits for you to make a mistake. And then he you know pounces. Uh, contrast that with Maverick. And Maverick is aggressive and daring and willing to take chances. And, you know, sometimes in life, you need to have somebody that's daring. There, there are times, especially when there's an emergency, that you need that person that, like Maverick did with Cougar, is willing to take the brunt of whatever faces him. He knew he was going to get in trouble mm-hmm. by defying orders, but he valued bringing Cougar back more. And so are you a go-by-the-book type of person, or are you somebody that's going to go by his heart and and go by this code that he lives by that is more important to him? And you get the impression that Iceman is going to go strictly by the manual. So they finally, uh, the, the conversation ends, and so I guess Goose and Maverick now have this long-standing bet whenever they enter into a bar, because... Pete Mitchell, uh, being the cutie pie that he is, has uh, and Goose being the married man that he is, Goose kind of gets this, I guess, uh, you know, a, a, a sixth sense of humor by goading his friend into these escapades or meeting up with women, and so they make usually make this bet. So they make a bet that he's going to have to, you know, meet a woman, hook up with her at the bar, and for twenty dollars, yeah. And lo and behold, this woman walks in and turns his head. 
mm-hmm. and he's definitely attracted to her. And now we're introduced to the Kelly McGillis character. So they, they, you know, Maverick has this approach with a, a very famous song that we're going to hear here. It's, I'm sure all of you remember this. This is You've Lost That Loving Feeling by the Righteous Brothers. Now, obviously, it's Goose and Maverick that are serenading. They're so. doing the singing. And it's this, this where they walk right up to this woman and just start singing this song to her. And at this point, now the other pilots have caught on to this. And at this point, you have the entire, all the, all the pilots are now singing to Kelly McGillis' character, who we right. don't know her name just yet. No, we don't. We just know her as this woman that turned Maverick's head. And Maverick is very full of himself at this point. Because she t- says, go ahead and sit down. Yeah, at this point, she says, go ahead and sit down. Everybody cheers. And then they kind of move on with the rest of their night. Right. So, you know, and, you know, Scott talked about, um, you know, one of the, the, the pilots makes a cameo. Well, now we get to see one of the uh, of the Top Gun instructors uh, makes an appearance. And it is the man, Perry, who is uh, is going to be... We eventually found out the character's name is Charlie. Kelly McGillis' character is Charlie. Charlie's meeting up with this man named Perry. And uh, to all the audience who Perry is. Okay. So, yeah, the uh, the, the guy that ends up being uh, Charlie's date at the bar is a uh, pilot by the name of Scott Altman, who ends up becoming a NASA um, astronaut. But he was the guy that, sh- that uh, piloted the F-14 and did majority of the flying scenes that you see with Maverick in it. And he's the one that turned the plane upside down and, and did the flipping the bird scene. He's also the one that buzzed the tower in the, uh, in the two scenes first on the carrier and then later on at the school. So um, Scott Altman was, th- was the pilot. And, you know, one of the things that I think Sean and I are going to talk about, you can see, a, you know, a graying, yeah, a graying guy. Um, but still he, he was the one that did, majority of the flying in the in the movie shots right he in many ways he kind of was the, a real life viper and he he is you know a much older man uh you know he's you know probably my age that i am now uh but you know compared to tom cruise who at the time is 24 years old right so you have this contrast with this brash cocky young guy and and by the way folks this this does get played off in, in top gun maverick so it's <laughs> it's kind of interesting how the tables get turned a little bit later right. on so and and i love that that's they kind of play off that so you have the you know the the very confident young guy who's going to walk up to the to the girl and you have the girl whose date is a much older man. Most of us would take no for an answer and hang our heads and walk away. Well, she shoots him down once. She shoots him down because now she goes and, and sits with her date. And then he turns and looks, and I'm sure there's probably, with him being the confident individual that he is, I'm sure he probably looked at this older guy and think, I'm losing out to that. <laughs> yeah, probably. So at, That's at, a good point. At one point, she uh, excuses herself and goes to the restroom. And Maverick decides, I'm not going to give up on this. I'm going to. So he takes off and he goes into the ladies' room after, after uh, Charlie. And then they, they continue on their conversation where he says, I think you're making a big mistake. Yeah. Right. So, you know, so here's this kind of embarrassing moment because she shoots him down once again, you know, kind of, you know, leaves. We, uh, 
Although she kind of like goose think that, you know, he did uh, get somewhere with her as she's walking away. Yeah, she walks away and says, your friend was magnificent. Yeah. Hi, everybody. It's Scott from the Gen X Playback Show. We're going to take our intermission at this time as we are going through our reminiscing of the movie Top Gun from 1986 starring Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer. One of the cool things about having a a Gen X movie to review is the fact that a sequel came out so recently, so many years later, and was so well done in Top Gun Maverick. Makes the original Top Gun so much more relevant to today. If you haven't seen it in a while, it'd be a great movie to, to pull back up and watch once again. It's certainly what we did before we went out and saw the movie Maverick as well. So, as Sean had said, and, and I highly agree that if you haven't seen Top Gun Maverick yet, it's a great movie to check out. If you were a fan of the original from 1986, we certainly were. And can't recommend the uh, sequel any higher than we could, than we possibly could. So, talk to you next week as we finish out the remainder of the movie. And also sort of talk about Top Gun's legacy. And, and why it still seems to be such a popular movie so many years later with uh, all, many of us Gen X fans. So, hope you're enjoying it so far. And we will talk to you next time right here on the Gen X Playback Show. For Sean, I'm Scott. We are the Brothers High, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks.